Two of the most impactful people in my life have been my uh, mother and father-in-law. They are both with the Lord now. And one of the reasons that they were so impactful uh, to me uh, was their marriage. They were married for a long time, 50, 55 years. Yeah, I didn't consult the expert before I wrote the manuscript, manuscript, 55 years. But it wasn't so much the length of their marriage, but the quality of it. You regularly saw them serving the other. They had a perspective of, of serving and blessing the other and were just full of joy. And they were an example uh, to their eight children, their children's spouses, myself included. And it was uh, highly impactful, their lives. Today's passage, we have another kind of marriage with the main character, Abigail, who has also impacted my life from a very ancient person who I've just read about in Scripture but she has impacted my life through the Word of God this week. But unlike my mother and father-in-law's marriage, her marriage was miserable. It was terrible. She was married to, and you could fill in the blank with a lot of words there, we'll go with fool. She was married to a fool who did not care about her did not care about others, did not care about God. So it is really surprising to see what kind of a quality, godly woman that she was in such a miserable marriage. You've maybe heard the expression that behind every great man there is an even greater woman. That may be true, that may be false, but what we're going to see in today's text is that behind this great woman, Abigail, is a great God, a great God, and she lives this incredible life, and whether you are a, a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, we are going to see a number of outstanding qualities of Abigail today. And my prayer for you and for me, it's already happened to me because I've been praying over and reading this text all week. So my prayer for you is that the Lord will use some of his word and some of these many themes and qualities in her life that we're going to see. And, and you're going to, this Holy Spirit is going to grab a hold of you and say, yeah, I need, to, I, I need to pray that. I need to pray, uh, Lord Jesus, uh, by your grace, make me this. And the first thing we're going to see about Abigail is that she is decisive. I hope you have your Bibles open to the passage that Sarah just read or a device open. I hope your devices are shut down in all other ways other than for the Word of God. Uh, but Let's just get into it today and look at uh, verse 18. 
1 Samuel 25 and 18. It says, Abigail lost no time. She took 200 loaves of bread. That's a lot of bread. 200 loaves of bread. Two skins of wine. Five dressed sheep. Not five sheep, but five dressed sheep. Anybody here dressed a sheep or a deer lately? Five of them. Five seahs of roasted grain. That's about 10 gallons. A hundred cakes of raisins. And 200 cakes of pressed figs. And loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, Go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal, the fool, because he would have been opposed to this. Now, what is this? Now, if you're visiting with us or you haven't been here the last few weeks, let me kind of set the stage here. What's going on? So if you weren't here last week, uh, David has been massively insulted by her husband, Nabal, the fool. He's an incredibly rich fool. And when you are full of pride in yourself, one of the worst things you can have is, is, is great wealth because it just often increases that. And so she doesn't tell him what's going on, but what she is doing is preventing the loss of Nabal's life and all of the other servants. He has insulted David. If you weren't here last week or just need a refresher, David's men are hungry. These are soldiers who are in hiding. They're, in, uh, they're, they're, they're on the run. They're being pursued by King Saul. And so they're hiding out and living in different places. Uh, they're, they're in trouble and they need food. And so they send 10 of their guys, David sends 10 of his men, hey, can you help me out? Sends it to Nabal. And Nabal just sends back insults and nothing. And David just loses it. We've all been there. Someone insults you. Someone gets after you. Someone says that certain thing to you. And you just lose it. And you are of the flesh and you are ready to let them have it. Now, you and me, we generally do that verbally, but David is a, is a warrior, and he and his men are armed with swords, and so he is determined to go and slaughter Nabal and all of his male servants. David is homicidal, and Abigail gets word about this, and so she loses no time, and she springs into action, and this is the first quality we see of her, that she is decisive. She's decisive. We see this in many places in the Bible. Decisive people, people taking action. Let's look at one other one in Matthew 8. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion, the centurion is the one that's decisive here, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. So the centurion knows Jesus relieves suffering. I, I got to get to him. So Jesus says to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. The centurion is decisive. He gets to Jesus. He says, will you heal this one who is suffering? 
He knows that Jesus is powerful enough that just his word will, will, will bring healing. And, and he gets there and he requests that and he's decisive. Abigail is decisive. I don't know where you are at today, but this might be the one of many of her themes we're going to look at that you might need to ask God to give you his grace so that you would be a decisive person. That is, there are times, of course, to wait upon the Lord, but there are times where we need to act. And this was such a time. Her servant had come to her and said, hey, this is what's going on. And all of the men, including Nabal, are about to be slaughtered. So she loses no time. And she, as far as I know, this is the first uh, DoorDash or Uber Eats right here. This is it. 1 Samuel 25. I mean, it's, it's Michelin quality, dressed sheep, skins of wine, uh, grain. I mean, I love bread. 200 loaves of bread. I actually brought a prop today, but I think I left it in my truck. I, I don't know if she had it with her, but have you guys had like the olive oil with the balsamic vinegar and you drip the bread? I actually brought the balsamic vinegar from my house today, but I forgot to bring it up here. It's from High Hand Nursery. Someone uh, gave me this like locally made stuff. It was a gift. And uh, it's not in the text, but I think she had that with her. I think she had that balsamic vinegar and olive oil for these 200 loaves of bread. She is an incredibly thoughtful and generous woman. She's loaded all of this onto uh, the animals with the servants and, and sends them ahead. So she is not only decisive, but she is generous. Unlike her husband, she is the opposite of her husband. It is God's will for Christ followers like you and me to be generous. To be generous. When I was a teenager and I was living with my father for the first time since I was about four, I was 16 or 17, and it was just he and I, and he traveled a lot. And so I was home alone. And I would visit this one particular family, and the mom was very sad for my condition. My diet was mostly Taco Bell and Dr. Pepper. I think they were like 39 cents back then. Something like that, if you bought five or ten of them. And I was alone a lot at home. And she had compassion on me. And I didn't know what she was doing. But her son, who was a year older than me, I was a senior in high school, he was a freshman. He was gone and his room was empty. And he had, and, and they, he, uh, his mom and, and his father, they had, uh, my friend Greg, he had, he had teenage sisters who were a couple years younger than me. And you might say, well, wisdom would be you wouldn't have a 17-year-old boy move in your family with these young girls. But she's, she's like, you should, you should come and live here. And, and she fed me like Abigail, and she loved me like a mom and took me in. And I drove her girls to school. She was generous. And she made an impact as a Christian woman. And her husband too, but it was mostly her. And this is what Abigail is doing here 
but it is way more timely because there is about to be a slaughter. And so she's loaded everything up. She's got the servants. She's from, she's an, from an extremely wealthy household with lots of servants and lots of animals and her generosity, and, and, and she's, she's on the move in verses 18 to 19, with all of these things, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal because he would not have allowed any of this. He would have prohibited it. So she's decisive, she's generous, and she's courageous. She is courageous. Look at verse 20. She came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine There were David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. So if this were a movie, this is pretty dramatic stuff here, if we're watching this in a film. So use your imaginations here. We're talking about 400 men who are about to engage in warfare, full of anger. Don't think rifles. This is warfare with swords. This is, this is slaughtering other men hand-to-hand with a sword. They're angry, they're loyal to David, and they're in a remote place in a mountain ravine. And here comes a woman on a donkey to stop them. I mean, this is like the 101st Airborne in ancient, ancient Israel. And a woman on a donkey with Uber Eats, is coming to stop them. She is courageous. She is incredibly courageous. So she meets them. Verse 21, David had just said, it's been useless all my watching over this fellow's property in the desert or in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. So Nabal and this, all of his servants, all of his animals, David and his men would protect them when they were out grazing their their sheep. And so David had just said, He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. David's a very capable warrior. We know that from reading this book and what he has done and who he has taken out. He doesn't need... 400 men with him, but he's taking 400 men to wipe out Nabal and his servants. At the end here of verse 22, my translation says one male. Um, If by morning I leave alive one male. He is swearing, he's making an oath to God that I'm going to take out every one of them. But he does this using vulgar language. And unless you have the King James Version, does anybody here have the King James Version with me? Not the New King James, but the King James. All of our other translations, including the New King James, they translate this euphemistically. In other words, one of the things that English translators take into consideration is, can a pastor read this at chapel for the elementary school? They take that into consideration. David uses language here that you don't use in the chapel at the elementary school. That's the kind of language he uses. He uses vulgar language. In Hebrew, he is upset, and this woman comes between him 
and his upsetness with all of his men, she is incredibly courageous. Not only is she courageous, but she is humble. Let's see what happens when they finally meet. So verse 23, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She knows he is the anointed king. She knows he has taken out Goliath. She knows that Saul is in a similar category of her husband Nabal, a fool, who has no consideration for God. She knows who David is, and she knows who David is going to be. And so she quickly gets off her donkey, falls to her face in the ground, as though he were the king. This is how you would respond to the king, to Saul. But she responds this way to David. She is a humble woman. God has called us as Christ followers to be humble. Let's look briefly at that theme in Philippians 2. Christ followers are told to have this attitude. You and I are to have this attitude. Which attitude? Well, the same attitude that was also in Christ Jesus. Another way to say it, another way to render it would be like this. Reflect in your own minds the mind of Christ Jesus. Be humble as he also was humble. How was he humble? Well, he was humble in a thousand ways, but how does this text say he was humble? He, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to be held onto, a thing to be maintained, but he emptied himself. He emptied himself. I want you to just use your imaginations again here. No movie, just like think. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit have existed forever and ever in this perfect community this perfect relationship of otherness and love. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. We, we've talked about this before. Why I'm bringing it up now is that in that community of the Godhead, the persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, there is no pain there. There is no suffering there. There is no need to eat there. There's, there's no grieving when your friend Lazarus dies there, there is no hardship there. There's no experiencing the brokenness of thirst and hunger and all the things that one experiences as a human being. He didn't take this, the second person of the Godhead, as a thing to be maintained. Another way to render this, he stripped himself of the insignia of majesty. Back to Philippians 2. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant or of a slave, and being made in the likeness of men, of a human being. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Fellow Christ followers, brothers and sisters, this is the kind of attitude that you and I are supposed to have. 
Do people see that attitude in you, in me? Many believers, many professing believers like Nabal, look arrogant and prideful and selfish. But Christians are humble. They're humble. We have the same attitude that our Lord had. We are longing for that same attitude that our Lord had of humility, of considering others better than ourselves, of being willing to risk our lives, to be courageous, to to move quickly, to be generous, to be humble. We see this humility in Abigail. And she just gets, it, it, it just, the story, this is such an amazing story. So she, back to our text, it, it just gets even more amazing what she does next. To me, in many ways, is the most amazing thing. So she falls at her feet. She knows, falls at David's feet. Uh, verse 24, she fell at his feet and said, My Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Are you kidding me? So, if I'm Abigail, I'm getting out my phone and giving David Google Maps to get to Nabal. I want out of this marriage. He is a fool. This is divine providence. Here's where he is, David. Here's food. Get nourished and go kill him. I mean, you wouldn't quite say it like that, but that's what you would be thinking in the flesh. My Lord, she's calling David Lord, a title of respect. She knows he's the anointed king of Israel, the king who's going to point to the greater king, Jesus. Let the blame be on me alone. Her husband is a fool. And she's taking the punishment that he deserves. She is asking that David would not display his wrath upon Nabal and every male, but that the blame would come to her. Who does that remind you of? Someone propitiated wrath so that you and I might live. This is unbelievable. Please let your servant speak to you. This is what she says to David. My translation says your, your servant. She's referring to herself. You could translate this maidservant. She's, she's referring to herself as a servant of David. What, hear what your servant has to say. Verse 25, may my Lord pay no attention to that wicked man, Nabal. She's telling the truth here. She doesn't want to, I don't think she wants to speak ill of her husband. But sometimes you have to tell the truth. And this is one of those situations because lives are at stake. So she in back-to-back sentences, says, I will take all of the blame for what he did. And then she lets David know that he is indeed a wicked man. 
He is just like his name. His name is Fool, and folly goes with him, she says. But as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my master sent. She's she's referring to the ten guys that David sent. She wasn't near her husband. She didn't know anything about that, and that's why she showed up with the donkeys, with the Uber Eats, with 200 loaves of bread, and I think olive oil and balsamic vinegar too. She's shown up with everything. And she is getting these incredible words out. But the thing that I want to emphasize in this section, because it is emphasized in this section, not that I want to emphasize it, what is emphasized here is when she says, let the blame be on me alone. She hasn't left Nabal. She hasn't gotten an attorney. She is united with Nabal. He is her husband. Genesis 2, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. God designs a marriage to be until death. Some marriages, like my mother and father-in-law's marriage, are beautiful marriages. And some marriages are miserable marriages. This was a miserable marriage with a godly woman who is caring for her husband right here, as well as telling the truth about him, that he is a fool. What I am praying is that one or more of these themes that we see in Abigail, that God would pour upon your heart. She is decisive, she is generous, courageous, humble, and most shockingly to me, she is loyal. She's loyal to Nabal. Here. I'll take the blame alone. So this is her speech as these men are about to slaughter Nabal and all of his men. It continues. I like verse 26. Beginning of verse 26. Now since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed and from avenging yourself. Let me just pause here. So we, we have some salespeople here. She, she, she's assuming the sale right here. I mean, he, he's on the war path. And she says, since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed and from avenging yourself. She has made an impact already. She knows that he's not going to go through with it. She has impacted David's life and heart and ministry and monarchy in a massive way here. She's assumed the sale before we hear from him, before the reader hears from him, before she, she's, she's on the ground saying, saying these things. Let's come back to the text here. Well, before we come back to the text, this is what one commentator says uh, coming out of verse 26. Riding alone into a troop of 400 armed men bent on violence, the defenseless Abigail knows that she has very little time to change their minds. And so she's, 
She's assuming that God is going to be at work here in David's heart and mind and that he's already changed his mind. That's what's going on in verse 26. Let's come back to verse 26. So now that the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, may your enemies and all who intend to harm my master be like Nabal and let this gift, the Uber Eats, everything I brought you, and let this gift, which your servants has brought to my master, be given to the men who follow you. Verse 28. Please forgive your servant's offense. She is identifying what Nabal did with her because she and Nabal are one flesh. For better or for worse, until death do us part, and for Abigail it has mostly been for worse. Please forgive your servant's offense. It's really Nabal's, but we're one, so it's mine. For the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master. Because he fights the Lord's battles. Let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live. Verse 29. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, that is Saul, the life of my master will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. David is famous, and what he has done with his sling is famous, not only among the Israelites, but among the Philistines, among the world, the known world at that time. Verse 30, when the Lord has done for my master every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him leader over Israel, my master will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or having avenged himself. And when the Lord has brought my master's success Remember your servant, or remember your maidservant. Remember me, Abigail. That is, when you are on the throne, remember me, which David certainly does. Now, this is one of the most beautiful speeches, what we've just read, 26 through 31 in, in 1 Samuel and in all of the Bible. And I want to say what's the theme here is that Abigail is showing us to be Christ-centered. And you should be asking yourself right now, well, Mike, I'm not sure where do you get that from in this text? What, 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 are you, what do you mean? So I've got notes in my Bible. I write in my Bible in pencil. Put your eyes on your text in front of you. Verse 26, Lord. Verse 26 again, Lord. Verse 27, Lord, verse 27 again, the Lord's battles. Uh, verse 29, Lord, that's number five. Verse 30, when the Lord has done for my master. Uh, down to verse 31, and when the Lord has brought my master's success. Seven times she uses the sacred name of God, the, the covenant-keeping God of Israel, the Lord, Yahweh, the name for God that no, one, no other nation uses for God other than Israel. He is the creator and sustainer. She's using the sacred name of God, and she is attributing what has happened here not to Abigail, but to him, to the Lord. 
Back to verse 26. In that speech, seven times, she refers to the Lord, to Yahweh. Now since the Lord has kept you, my master David, from bloodshed. So on one level, Abigail is the hero, but on a much more important level, the great one behind the woman of this passage is the Lord. The Lord has kept David from bloodshed. Abigail was living a life where she is most concerned for the Lord and for the things of the Lord. And so, this is how she could do all of these things. A wrong way to read this passage is, I, I, I can't imagine doing any one of these things. She is superwoman. No, she is a woman like you. If you're a woman, man, whatever. We're not women, but you get know what I'm trying to say. She's like us. She's a sinner. But with God at the center of her life, she is able to be decisive, generous, courageous, humble, loyal, impactful. So this is, this is probably the most important of the things in my list of Abigail's qualities. That God is at the very center of her thoughts, of her actions, of her prayers, of everything that she's doing here. And it's extraordinary. When God is at the center of your heart and your life, you will take risks, you will do things that are unusual, that are uncommon for his kingdom. And this is what Abigail has done. So we finally get David's response in verse 32. So she, she's assumed the sale. She's assumed he's going to repent and turn. Let's look at David's response in verse 32. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment or for your discernment. This is the next thing on my list. And we were introduced to this last week when we were introduced to her. Nothing about her appearance in this passage, but when we were introduced to her from last week's passage, that she is a beautiful woman of form and she is a woman of wisdom or of discernment. And David is alluding to her discernment here. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. This is incredible what she has done. Verse 34, Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, if she hadn't been so decisive, let me just emphasize here, she didn't call a prayer meeting, she didn't wait on the Lord, she didn't consult with her husband. She went quickly to meet David. Had she not done that, and then David uses this vulgar phrase again. Not one male, is how our English translations put it, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. The only thing better than knowing that God forgives me or you for the egregious sins that we've done is God being so gracious to prevent us from doing those sins. And God has prevented David, from slaughtering people's fathers, husbands, daddies, uncles, 
And David is thankful for what Nabal has done. But both David, I mean, what Abigail has done. David and Abigail know that the Lord has worked in Abigail. And that's why she has been able to do this. So she, in addition to being Christ-centered, in addition to being discerning, is pro-life. She has saved the lives of these servants, one of whom is the one who came to her and, and said, hey, these 10 guys came. There's about to be bloodshed. What can you do? They didn't go to Nabal. They didn't go to one of the other servants. They went to, Ab- they went to Abigail because of her known character, because of her godliness, because she was a Yahweh-centered, we would say Christ-centered. Jesus Christ is the name for God that identifies uniquely our God. Nobody else is confused about who he is, who is our God. It is Jesus. She had that relationship with God. At that point in the history of divine revelation, it was Yahweh was his name. She is discerning. She is pro-life. Verse 35, then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him. So he enjoyed this meal and his men. And then, she, then he says, uh, go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. Her request is that you will remember me. And David does. David is praising the Lord, the God of Israel, at the beginning of his response because he sees how God has worked through his servant Abigail. There is much more in this text, but I think I'm going to assign the rest of it for homework. 36 through the end of the chapter. We will pick up in 26 next week. I want to close off today by reminding you of what these 10 themes are. And my prayer for you and for me, is that there would be one or two of these that God would have, by his spirit, led you to say, Lord Jesus, by your grace, make me this. Make me decisive when that opportunity comes. Generous, courageous, humble, loyal, impactful, Christ-centered, that's at the top of the list in this list, discerning, pro-life. Abigail does all these things in this extraordinary way. Love this chapter. We'll close by reading very briefly or alluding to something else, something that David wrote. Psalm 23, perhaps the most well-known literature one of the most well-known pieces of literature in the world. You know Psalm 23. Begins, the Lord is my shepherd. But I'm going to close today jumping down to verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I want to suggest that the background for verse 5 is a feast of bread and wine and all kinds of other great food that Abigail has brought. 
as his enemies, Saul and his spies, Dog the Edomite and others, as well as Nabal and his crew, that the God of David, the God of Israel, the God of you and me as Christ followers, is so strong, is so good, is so powerful that he can provide a feast when you are a fugitive on the run with enemies all around you that you can sit down and feast at this incredible meal. I think this, and maybe more, is part of the background of Psalm 23, verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're just in awe of you and what you did on this day in history that we've just read about where a woman stops an army with food and love and mostly with her faith in the covenant-keeping God of Israel, Yahweh. Lord, you want us to live for you. You want us to be like our Lord Jesus who didn't consider hanging on to the comforts of the divine Godhead, but humbled himself eventually to be nailed to a cross. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. He said, I will take the blame for Mike, for Michelle, for grace, fill in the blank with your name. I will take the blame. I will take the punishment. And by faith, they will be declared righteous. What a beautiful God we serve. We thank you, Jesus. And we pray that you would help us to be like you and like Abigail was like you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.